You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. I'm excited to share with you this morning because this has been kind of a crazy week. Has anyone ever had a week where it's like you just can't get into the rhythm of your week? Right? Cool. Just me and my wife. Dope. I'm going to assume that that's all of you because if you're all in rhythm, you would have raised your hand. Uh, but has anyone, honestly, anyone having that week or had that week that would just, like, just be so real this morning? I, I had that week. Um, we... Uh, we just had all this stuff. I've been sick for three weeks. I, you know, it's just like the weirdest thing, you know, in my life. Uh, and and then we had this weird experience where our air conditioner, we're like, why is it not blowing cold? And the answer is because it's broken, which translated into now you're broke. Uh, because those are expensive. They're like the engine of your house. Um, and they cost a lot of money. And so we walked that journey this week. Um, but it's really, you know, God's been super faithful to us, and, and we've been enjoying it. But I just kind of felt this week, like, like almost, like, how do I get back into the rhythm of life? And I think one of the hard things is when, when we feel out of rhythm, it's hard to kind of, like, go to stuff. Because, especially church stuff. Because people are going to ask you this question, how are you doing? And the answer is, I'm doing garbage. Like, I'm not doing good. At, like, you know, like, I don't feel good. But we feel, like, a little unsure if we should say that because then we're going to lose some spiritual brownie points. Um, or we go too far and we're just so real with it that people are like, oh, cool, that was too much. Like, this is the lobby. Like, that was more crying than I expected you to do. Uh, we're, we don't know where that balance is. We're trying to figure it out because we're out of rhythm and so we're not sure how to say. But can I just say, and I want to encourage you this morning at Banner Church, that if you come to Banner Church, I want to encourage you just to be open and authentic with people when, when you encounter them. And that I think more than not, most of us here have some rhythm in our life that feels upset or disjointed. And though I wouldn't encourage you to ask a total stranger what the deepest, darkest fear is of their life, because uh, <laughs> we haven't earned that intimacy yet. I, I really want to encourage us that, that the opportunity that presents itself here on a Sunday morning has always been since the beginning of the church for the believers who were facing the reality of their world to gather together to uplift one another in praise, but also in word and in mouth to speak life. And so this is actually an opportunity. And so I want to encourage you, if you are not, if you're feeling a little out of rhythm, I say these things to just encourage you because I, I want to invite you to press into community and into those things because we do care. Raise your hand if you care about people in your life. Good. Okay, cool. There we go. See, everyone's in. Um, <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Um, I, I, I like old sayings. I actually just said one. Um, I like old sayings. I think, like, the more I get as a dad, I, I get more into dad jokes and old sayings. Like, um, rub some dirt on it. Like, I literally said that to my four-year-old. Like, she has any concept of, like, competitive advantage or, like, I don't know, like, rough endurance, right? I was like, I just rub some dirt on it. Get back out there, you know? Uh, and... But I, I like these sayings, but as interesting as I was preparing for this message, there, there was a saying that stuck out. And, and tell me if you've heard this saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you have heard that saying? Right? 
And it's interesting because I was like, where did this saying come from? Because, you know, this is like something that as a kid you say to other kids when they're just emotionally devastating you. It's to prove to them that they're not. And so you're like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, and so I was like, where did this come from? And the only reference I could find historically for this phrase is that in 1886, um, it was referenced in a Christian record publication saying, this is an old saying. So in 1886, it was old, but it was apparently old then. So who knows where this came from? But we have kind of this saying, and though we kind of might outwardly reject it, I think it lives on in our life, right? Like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I think, I think we should have a vote. What do you think is worse, sticks and stones or break my bones? So sticks and stones, who thinks it's worse? Okay, words. Okay. Unvoted. There was an undecided portion. This is making sense now when I see the map during political season. Uh, <laughs> you have to choose. You guys know that, right? Um, okay, let's try it again. Sticks and stones. Okay, a couple of them. How about words? Yeah, so it's like interesting. Our natural response is kind of to reject this idea because I think in the modern era we could say things like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will send me to therapy, right? <laughs> <laughs> or like sticks and stones may break my bones, but your Instagram comments will emotionally cripple me, <laughs> right? Like we've entered into kind of this new thing where it's like, I don't even read Instagram comments anymore. Like, I don't know how, pe how people that are like Instagram influencers have stomachs for this. Like, I read what's posted for them, and I feel like I feel for them. And I'm like, how are you surviving this onslaught of negative words? But people just kind of like roll on, right? But that's kind of the way we, we've, gone, is that we've gone is that things have changed. A nasty comment in publication used to take some work or at least some money, right? You'd have to like publish some kind of like fake scholarly article or newsprint uh, to really rag about somebody, to really uh, make an issue. You'd have to get a paper going with like a paper, you know, with like a press and a print and all of these things, right, to get going. Now it takes about four and a half seconds. So you could actually go negatively comment on me while I'm speaking, and it would take you about three seconds. Please don't, because uh, <laughs> apparently I can't emotionally handle it. But, uh, but, but it is so different now how things have changed is that it's interesting how we, the, the power of the tongue and the power of the pen has now moved to the power of the fingertips, and we can type, and we can comment, and we can share words. And so the power of our words has changed. And yet the, the scope of what we deem acceptable or not acceptable language seems to kind of be up in the air, right? So if somebody says something and we see it on the news, I, I always find this when I'm reading comment threads so fascinating. Someone will say something on the news and people are like, I can't believe that they said that. Oh, you're an idiot. Someone should beat you up. Someone should burn your house. They like go like way beyond, right? Because it's like some words we think like that incites violence, and then we say the same thing on the Internet, and it's like doesn't matter, right? And so we have this kind of like vague sphere as far as like what words matter, what words don't matter. If you don't like my words, just unfriend me, right? That was popular on Facebook for a while, and so I did. So I follow like eight people on Facebook. <laughs> but I, I think that, that things have changed a little bit in the age of kind of Internet bullying, and, and, and it's not as, like, outright as it used to be in that we are all in some way get enraged by things and lash out with our words on things, right? Are you still with me? And so I think that in many ways, 
in the scope of history, sticks and stones metaphorically have done a great deal of damage, right? I've been hitting with both of those things. They're not great, and they do break bones, trust me. But I think when it comes to our daily lives, we'd probably say words affect us on the day-to-day more. Like unless you're in some kind of rock-throwing business, most of you are affected, or unless you fight in some kind of military, most of us are affected more by words that are spoken. And I think we would say words, they, they have the power to give direction, Right? They, words have the power to direct lives. They have the power to direct futures. They have the power to direct self-worth. Words have the power for direction. Words have the power to do damage. Words have the power to create division. Everybody kind of has this power on a daily basis, whether positive or negative, to speak words of life or death. Right? We kind of all possess this power immensely. Right? And in the age that we've lived in, we now all possess some kind of mechanism with which to say these words daily. So before you would just maybe interact with like four or five coworkers. Now you can interact with thousands of people around the world. And so our words and the words that we're sharing have profound impact. And so they can bring unity or disunity. And so when, when we're reading in James, we've been talking about this follow series as James isn't trying to be hard on the church. He's trying to give direction and, and instruction because he so desires for there to be unity amongst the church. Who wants unity in the church? Amen. And so James is speaking a message I think that's true now. And I think maybe even more so because of the access it's provided for us. And so James, and we'll, we'll read here in just a second. If you brought your Bible, you can open to James 3. But we'll read here in just a second is James is giving a pretty powerful uh, chunk of scripture here. But he's writing it to uh, a scattered people of Israel. He's writing it to a people that, that were scattered when Stephen was persecuted and sent all around uh, the known world, so to speak, at that time. And they're highly influenced by the situation of their exile. And yet they're having to choose to follow Christ just like you and I, like, they had, they had to make a daily decision to choose to follow Christ. And James believes, like I believe and I believe that you believe, that God has given us an immense power for the mission that he's called us to. Right? And that, and that the power to speak life and to speak the gospel and to, to speak the gospel that changes lives and re- breaks chains and releases hope into, into people, into their homes, the same power comes from the tongue. It comes from our words. When I'm saying tongue, I mean words, our communication. And so as much as he's explaining the bad effects that we'll read here in a second, he's trying to steer them to the good effects lovingly. He kind of doesn't like have any fluff in here. It's just all pure communication. I'm trying to encourage and empower and strengthen the church because he loves it. And so he's trying to give them the wisdom to fulfill the mission of God. And here's our goal. And this is really my goal this morning, and I believe it's the goal of James, is that since we know words have power, let's be founded and founded on and filled by right sources so that we would speak words that bring life and bring love. That's the summation of what he's doing. Let, let's be founded on and on God. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so that out of our heart, the tongue that he's going to explain and how it's used, that was used for evil, we can use for good and speak life and speak love. And I believe that's the focus of the church and always has been to speak life. Sometimes it looks like correction, but it's always life. 
and it's always hope. And so we're speaking life this morning. So if you brought your Bibles, open up to James 3, 1 through 2. It says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. Okay, I love the honesty of James. I, I, I appreciate honesty and, and just like realness. And I love that James says, listen, um, be careful if you're a teacher, because as it turns out, none of us are perfect because none of us are Jesus. And since none of us are perfect, it means that some of us are going to make some mistakes. And so knowing and in light of the fact that I'm going to make some mistakes and how I communicate should affect how I communicate. It should affect the way I come across, right? And, and, and I think this should give us a little bit of hope and a little bit of correction because if James in the Bible, the brother of Jesus, wrote, I'm not perfect, then I kind of feel like also we should be okay with not being perfect, right? Like James brother of Jesus, if he writes, I'm not, I'm not perfect, I'm going to make some mistakes, then I, I think we could all just maybe collectively breathe a sigh of like, I can stop trying to be perfect. I can let it go. I can be okay knowing. And so it's kind of like in light of the fact that we're not going to be perfect it, and, and letting it go, he's not trying to deter teachers. He's just saying, listen, watch out when you have a platform. He's saying you're going to be judged for the words you say with the platform that you have because the words you say from your platform have consequences. James says, in light of your brokenness, you should consider the way in which you use your platform to instruct or misguide others. Because you, you have an option when you have a platform. You can speak with mercy. You can speak with grace. You can speak with understanding. Or you can speak with judgment. You can speak with harshness. You can speak with coldness. And I can guarantee you, because we watch it happen all the time, those that speak with harshness, coldness, and judgment, when they eventually make a mistake, will not receive grace, mercy, and love. Are you with me? And since we're all going to make mistakes, maybe that should inform the way we use our platform. Luke 6, awesome uh, portion of scripture. Remember, James is pulling in uh, what Jesus spoke, and he's also pulling in Proverbs. So Luke 6, um, if you brought your Bible, you can like leave a finger on, on the book of James and then kind of flip back to Luke. Uh, it says this, 37 through 38. It says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. That's a whole other sermon. We're not getting into it, but we're just going. Give, and it will be given to you. Good, in a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be given back to you. Let me give you a life principle here. What you give will more often than not be given back to you. If you give grace and you are a gracious person, you will more often than not receive grace back from others. And the reason is, is that gracious people like to be around gracious people. And ungracious people love to be around ungracious people. Because they get around and complain about other people. And the hard part is, is that when you need grace, there's no one there to give it. If you needed snark, sarcasm, put down, side jabs, you could get it. You could get boatloads of it. But you, what you needed was those gracious people, but you pushed them away by being ungracious. Because if you surround yourself with gracious talk, you'll often surround yourself with gracious people. 
And so it's understanding this influence. It's understanding to be, to be careful how we use our, our voice. So there, let, let me put it this way. There's about, on a Sunday, 120 people that come to Banner Church. And I think that's not a mega church, but I love all the people that come to this church. And I think you would hope and I would hope that I would take that seriously communicating every week to everybody here. That I would take that seriously. That I wouldn't just like say random things or spout out ungracious talk or be mean to people from stage, right? It's like, I think you should take that seriously, right? So if you have 100 people that follow you, do you think that you should take that seriously? Raise your hands. Yeah? Okay, what if you have 100 people that follow you online that you speak to daily? Should you take that seriously? What if you have 200, 300, 400, 500? What if you have 1,000 people that you influence daily? Should you take that seriously? I, I think so because it's a platform. See, it doesn't matter if you devalue it and say, man, I'm just expressing myself. It's a platform. If 1,000 people, if 10,000 people listen, read, watch, care about the things that you post, you can say it doesn't have meaning, but it definitely has consequences. And just like, just like if you stood up here and preached to 100 people, the things that you post and you share and you tell and you give, they preach the message of your life. They preach the message of what's in your heart. And I think that's so important is to evaluate the power of your platform. Parents, have you evaluated the power of the platform that you have in your children's life? Have you evaluated, really thought about recently the weight of the things that you say to your children? Because that's a platform. Moms, dads. You might be a side jab of like, man, why do you always do this? You're always like this. But you're speaking something from a platform into their life. You're a teacher. You're teaching. How about bosses, coworkers, fellow students? Because of the unity of your education or your vocation, you have a platform to speak into other people. Have you thought recently, and James is he's just trying to get us to think. Have you thought recently about how you're using your platform to speak into other people? Have you thought about it on social media? And I think this week drove me more crazy than anything. I was ready to snap my phone in half because I'm a philosopher at heart. And it's like I feel like Instagram and Facebook are like the, I, lo I love social media, if I'm going to be so real. I love it. But I feel like it is the death of philosophy or at least well-crafted ideology. It's like this is a cute infographic. I think this speaks to life post. Like this means nothing. This preaches nothing, it enhances nothing, it brings life to nothing, but it's cute. It's got a pie chart, and it makes a joke about a certain sect of people in the country, and since people can't really readily respond, and we can just call them haters if they do anyways, then I might as well just post it, right? It doesn't matter. But we have a platform. We are blessed as a generation to have these things as a platform to spread the gospel and the life of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if you get a lot of hits. That doesn't justify that it's a good idea, right? I guarantee you there's some stuff that I could just go post right now that would get a bunch of hits because people would be like, whoa. <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea. Remember, James is bringing in Proverbs. And I think this idea from Proverbs speaks to this. Proverbs 10, 19 through 21. If you're writing notes, write this down. It says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. I'm trying to teach that to myself. 
The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. That could be the social media tagline right there. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for a lack of wisdom because we're not getting the wisdom. I was just curious about this this week. What if the church went one week, and, and like I, we can't affect anybody outside, as, outside of us, you can't tell us what to do. But what if we all just went one week by just speaking life? Just one week. You didn't argue with your, your father-in-law on Facebook about the president. You were just like... What if we all just spoke life and encouraged one another from the platform we had in our families to our children? They're driving me crazy, and I swear, if you spoil that one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. But you know what? For this one week, I'm just going to speak life. Right? My boss or my coworkers, it's like, I've told you eight times to do this. You haven't done it. It's like, you should just be happy. I haven't fired you, but I'm just going to choose to encourage and empower and strengthen you. I want to yell at you, scream at you, swear at you, but I'm going to empower you. What if we did that? What would that look like as a church? Because the tongue is the powerful tool. And James is saying, have you stopped to think recently about the platform that you have with your words and with your mouth? James 3 through 5. Are, are you still with me this morning? James is like pretty intense, so I'm trying to make it a little lighter. <laughs> so just stay with me, I promise. Uh, <laughs> James 3, 3 through 5 says, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, whether wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Two examples, but one idea, and I like this. It's taking a horse. Um, I've ridden a horse two times in my life, and I am thankful for the bridle and for reins. I'm thankful for those things, right? Uh, has anyone here ridden a horse and you know what I'm talking about? Okay, can you, anyone, anyone here never ridden a horse, but you've seen a horse, so you understand what a horse looks like? All right, dope, good. <laughs> People are like, I haven't ridden a horse, I feel left out. That's all right, we'll get the ships, maybe that's your moment. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Sorry, someone came up to the window, totally distracted me, then I made a joke. Um, <laughs> but uh, a horse, if you ever try to, like, watch someone, like, get a horse to do something not holding the reins, it's kind of just like a general guiding. Even, like, well, uh, well-meaning cowboys I've watched, like, just be so annoyed at a horse that's supposed to be getting up into a trailer but won't and, like, won't listen there's something powerful when you grab the reins and you're on a horse assuming it doesn't buck off and it just turns it, right? This is a powerful animal that if you pushed it and it was like, nay, uh, it, would, it would kill you, right? But one thing in its mouth directs it. The same thing is true with the ship, right? The ship uh, is a massive thing. And if you were like, I'm just going to try to swim and push this ship, you might move it a little bit. But this tiny little rudder on the back that's connected to what I only imagine is always a pirate's wheel uh, it, it is, is controlled, and it moves the course of the whole ship, right? The tongue is the same way. The tongue has the same power, essentially, in our life and in our body, is that the tongue is a powerful tool for direction. And this is the issue that we can approach, though, is that an unrestrained mouth will misdirect lives. See, words can change the course of not only your life, but the lives around you. 
we've all probably seen this, you know, trajectory is the path followed by an object moving under the action of given forces. And sometimes those forces, like the rudder of the ship, are directing into a certain way. So James says the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. The tongue is like uh, the thing in the horse's mouth. Then it turns and it directs and it guides. It affects its trajectory. So what happens if that... Um, I don't know, captain, lets go of the wheel and lets the, r- the rudder just go where it may. It's going to crash, right? It's going to crash. It's going to go places it's not supposed to go. It's going to land on things it doesn't want to land on. It's going to bump into stuff. It's going to cause damage. It's going to cause hurt. It's going to cost life. See, since word give direction in life, an unmanned, an unguided mouth will cause many ships of life to just crash on the shore. Will cause ships that were destined for great things, for new worlds, have been steered, have been given the reins by, to someone who did not know how to pilot ships, and they drove that thing right into the shore. Because the tongue is a powerful tool. And I think that if we don't restrain our mouth, we will affect the trajectory of people. Many of you have probably had this happen in your life where you felt like you had a trajectory in your life, but someone spoke something to your self-worth or to your identity or to your future. And because they spoke it, and it could have been totally meant nothing to them. It could have been a total just side remark thrown out. But because of the remark that's made about you and, ah, yeah, you're just dumb. Oh, you're just, you're always a mess. Oh, yeah, you're just always clumsy, always anxious, always tired, always this. Like, why do we say that about people? You're always, like, always? You don't know me? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you, you need to know me. You don't know my future. Don't say always. I might be right now, but you don't know what God has for me. See, when we speak into people's lives, we direct them. We direct their future. This is who you are. This is what you'll be. But can I tell you, when we rein the, the, the tongue, when we direct the tongue, when we direct the words, when we direct speech, we guide the future of, of not only yourself but those around you. And, and James is encouraging people who think just like I think, people who say things like, well, I'm just being real. Like, no, you're being mean. <laughs> Well, you know, I just feel like I have the gift of speaking my mind. It's like, no, you have the gift of eating alone. That's why. Because we, we want to speak our heart and speak our mind, but it goes back to platform. It goes back to grace. Jesus always spoke his mind, but he spoke it as Jesus with grace and with clarity and with truth. Something can convict and still be biblical. A lot of it is. <laughs> A lot of the Bible, can, it speaks straight to my heart. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this scripture this week, I was ready to roast somebody on Facebook this week, and I was preaching this, and I couldn't. <laughs> but it speaks to the direction. James says you got to grab the reins of the tongue for your life, or the lives of others around you will be misdirected. And I want you headed in the same direction because I believe that God has promised great plans for your life and for your future. And so he goes on, James 3, 5 through 6. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. It says this, how great, uh, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And he just keeps getting more intense and set on fire by hell. He's getting intense because he's speaking to people he loves. He's like trying to like shake his own children. Like, hey, this is important. Because the tongue is a powerful tool for direction, yes, but a tongue is also a powerful tool for destruction. Just like a small flame causes a big fire. You know wildfires, they don't start as wildfires. They start as like discarded cigarette butts. And we can do that in our life, just kind of like casually walk by and flick this like discarded cigarette butt jab into someone's life who's struggling with depression and self-image. But we make a comment like, man, why do they always dress like that? Why do you act like this? Why are you like that? And we toss it and it becomes a wildfire. And I think that's the crazy thing about the tongue is a well, uh, a critically placed remark can damage life, but a well-timed encouragement can save a life. That's how it works. It's like you can critically damage someone's life and their future and their existence with your words, right? That kind of like critically uh, aimed remark, it can just destroy somebody. But man, a well-timed encouragement, man, that can save a life. Have you seen that happen? Just like someone coming along saying, I believe in you, I speak into you. And so we, we, we can pretend like words don't matter, but we know that they do. We know that they do. That cigarette that's flicked out on the side of the highway that starts a wildfire, no one comes back for it. No one cares about it. No one remembers it, but it causes immeasurable damage. It costs people property, life, future, their homes. The same thing about our words. We can care like they don't matter, but they have impact. Proverbs 26, 18 through 19. Says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows in death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. <laughs> JK. Yeah, <laughs> this is the biblical JK. <laughs> That's the message version. Uh, <laughs> But James is saying you, you can't toss out fire. You can't toss out a burn. And you say, oh, man, we're just playing. We're just joking around. This is what we do. We just, we kid around. It's like, really, because what you do kind of seems like everybody's just ripping on the one dude in the group. Like, guys, let's just be real for a second. There was always that guy that got ripped on as that one dude in a group. You're like, not in my group. I'm like, all right, well, you weren't a, a sinner like me, apparently. Uh, <laughs> there's always that guy. And it's like, ah, that's so funny. Like, Kyle's so funny. He, uh, he loves it. He, it's just, that, that's just how it is. Like, no, nah, man, you're destroying this kid's life. And you're speaking things in. And you're throwing arrows and saying, oh, I'm just kidding. You're speaking to self-worth and saying, oh, I'm just kidding. And James is saying, no, we got to take this seriously. Because it's supposed to light a fire in a good way. But if you mismanage fire, you're going to get burned. And you're going to burn down the things around you. I remember in high school, um, I... I I was somewhat wise and then mostly just a high schooler. Um, and I remember starting a fire. I don't remember why, but I think it was for a video or something because that's what you did um, in high school. And uh, I started this fire, and the fire um, grew quickly and engulfed, uh, what do you call that, a tree. And it took off on the stump of this tree. And so here's me and my friends who um, aren't adequately prepared for fire management, I'd say, not prepared. <laughs> so we're kicking dirt. We're like scooping handfuls of mud because it's Washington and there's always mud. And we're just throwing it on this tree. And it's like, we live in Washington. We just assume nothing ever burned ever because there's no heat. And so we're just throwing <laughs> dirt on this tree to try to burn it. And, it. and it just got out of control as I wasn't, I, it wasn't my goal. It wasn't my aim to light a tree on fire. It was cool. 
<laughs> it's not my aim to hurt people with my words. I'm just being myself, man. I'm just real. I'm authentic. Speak it like it is. I, I, can't, I can't clean it up like these religious people. Like, well. But I think it's important when we look at our heart and, and say, it, it's not so much these little things or these big things and these big fires. It's these little fires that grow into big things. Is we think about big moments in our life and how we speak. How am I going to speak to my kids about this? How am I going to speak when this moment happens? And we play these in our brain and we have movies about these moments. But let me tell you, every word you speak is a small fire. It will either bring warmth or it will burn somebody. And it grows into big fires. And it kindles something in your heart, in the heart of your family, every word that you speak. And so James is saying, you're going to eat the fruit of the fire you kindle. The thing that you build up, the thing that you stir up, you're going to live in the consequences of those things. And so I want you to stir up a fire that brings life and hope and strength and empowers others, that lights the dream inside their heart. Not a fire that burns them, pushes them aside, and damages their future. Are you still with me? Okay, let's keep going then. James 3, 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, which that in itself is amazing. You can tame sea creatures. And has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. And this, he's going to get serious again, so roll with me. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I'm going to say that again. Hear this. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Someone said, ouch. Yeah, that was. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought to not be so. And then he gives us some examples. As a spring, pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I love this comparison. He goes, we have one tongue, one mouth, one mind that speaks to it and speaks out. And with it, we do two things. We bless God and we curse other people. Same mouth, same source. We go, I love you, God. Have you heard this about this other person? <laughs> right? The same Sunday morning we go, we go, praise God. F you. Same Sunday. <laughs> we praise God, and then we swear at people on the way home. <laughs> Driving in this traffic, because nobody here knows how to drive. That's the same mouth that comes from the same point. Praises and cursing. Same, same place. And so James, I'm speaking to myself here, if we're being real, right? Is anyone else on the same boat as me? You just, okay, good. Okay, good. I feel like a little, like, none of us want to admit that, you know, you might have sworn at your kids yesterday because they painted on the side of your car or someone, you know, T-boned somebody in front of you and you let out like a little, you know, whatever the word was. <laughs> like, I'm not here to harp on your habits. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I, I don't care about any of that. I care about the condition of your heart because I believe God wants to birth something new and fresh and some fresh fruit in your life. So that's what I'm speaking to. So go with me here. James brings the natural comparisons that are hard to argue with, right? He goes, can a spring produce fresh and salt water? If it did, it would be a natural wonder of the world. It just produces one kind. Can a fig tree grow olives? The, the collective answer would be no. Can a grapevine produce figs? No. So he's using these natural examples. He's pulling the Proverbs. He's pulling the teachings of Jesus. Luke 6, if you still like somehow have a bookmark in there, 
because uh, you still use bookmarks. Luke 6, 43 says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bramble bush. Remember, Jesus said, I, I didn't write this, just point of clarification. Jesus said this. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is so crucial. The tongue is a powerful tool to show the content of your heart. See, this is what I love about Jesus, and this is what I love about James, is they're trying to get us to reject compartmentalization. See, everything inside us wants to put everything in silos. Follow me here. This is how my brain thinks, and I think about this often, and I try not to get too much into, like, the philosopher realm, but I'm going to kind of, like, go a little philosopher teacher right now. Are you with me? Good, two seconds. Will you give me three minutes to do that? You're like, three minutes, Pastor? Give me 30 minutes. Three minutes. I'm gonna, we're going to bang it out. We try to put things into silos. Mental health, spiritual health, physical health, emotional health. They live separately. That's us. We say these things live separately. We say my physical health doesn't affect my emotional health. Right? I can, I can do what I want with my physical body. That doesn't affect my spiritual health. We're siloed. We say these things are siloed. And which I would say, I'm going to encourage you, ask somebody who has been chronically sick for a long time how that affects their emotional health. And they will tell you, it's not great. I don't like this. Right? Because when you're in it, you fully understand it. If you've been healthy for a while, you forget that these things all touch one another. Where do they touch one another? Where are they connected? Inside of us, in our mind, in our heart, in our soul. Our emotional health, our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health, it's all connected inside of us. And we don't just get to like silo them separately and think that they don't touch one another. Just like a fig tree doesn't have some olive part, when a fig tree grows up, all the branches grow figs. That's not like apple branch, right? Well, you know, I don't let my fig branches touch my apple branches because that's kind of my apple branches, and I like to leave those separate. I don't like my two groups of branches to intertwine. I like to leave them separate. Can I tell you, that's like how I lived my youth. I got to keep these separate. I'm going to act like this over here. I'm going to use these kind of words over here. I'm going to have these kind of relational boundaries and physical boundaries over here. But never shall any of these things meet or interact. I'm going to act differently over here than over here and over here than over here and here than here. And what that creates isn't continuity. It creates an identity crisis because it's all still happening here. It's all still inside of you. But you think you're convincing everybody that it's separate, but it's not. This is like every counseling I've ever done in relationships. Uh, men, women, if you are acting one way with your spouse, they don't go home and start acting pure. Follow me. If you are acting one way sexually in your sexual health with someone that you know you shouldn't, they don't go home and turn into a Jesus freak. They go home. We act the same. We are the same people. How about this? If you are talking bad with somebody, when, when they go home, they just start talking bad about you. Because it doesn't change. Are you still with me? The, the, we think it's compartmentalized. Yeah, you know, that, that's just kind of how I am on Friday night. But Sunday, I'm different. No, you're not. You just wear different clothes and you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> 
but your heart is still the same. And it turns out that God still has the same great mission for the future of your life that he does Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday at work, Monday. He's got the same great mission for your life. But if we say, oh, no, I'm just compartmentalizing. I'm going to push it over here and push it over here. This is, this is this way and this is over here. This is over here and this is over here. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's all happening right here. Everything in your life, the emotional, the physical, the mental, the spiritual, it's happening in, your, in you. And we have to reject the lie that the world has told you that you could somehow compartmentalize those and they're not going to touch. Are you still with me? I, I feel like for this generation, that is my like great call in every like counseling session is it's like people meet with me and say, I don't know how this happened. I'm like, well, let's look at your life. I don't know how I made these decisions. Well, let's look at your life. I was like, what about this over here and your emotional health? You're just up and down. Everything, emo your emotional health is all over the place. It's like, well, yeah, but how, how does that affect my spiritual health? Like, how does that affect your spiritual They both live in the same house. They're roommates with you. They share, like, the same room. They have bunk beds. <laughs> it's going to affect it. If one of them gets the plague, the rest of them are all going to get the plague. <laughs> Unless preventative measures are taken for plague, whatever that is. I don't know. We're, I don't know. Baths? I don't know what the thing for plague is. But it lives inside of us. But our, but our world wants us to separate them and say they don't. To say your words live separately from your thoughts. Your words live separately from your heart. Your words is just expressing things periodically. That's not what lives inside of you. But can I tell you, your words influence your behavior and affect the condition of your heart. This is what James is speaking to. This is why it's so important is because all these things are connected to us, the way we speak, the way we think, the way we act, the way we love. If you speak negative, your heart will grow a negative harvest. That's the power of the tongue. If you speak vulgar, your heart will grow a vulgar harvest. You're like, no, I'm not sure. No, trust me. I know. I've sown the seeds. Right? I've sown the seeds of negativity, and I've seen their, their thing burst forth. And it is a bitter plant to eat the harvest of negativity. I, it's interesting. I've been, I'm reading about this example because um, I just love researching things, and I, I've been reading about the F word. You can ask your neighbor what it means later. I want to explain it to you if you don't know. Um, <laughs> and the F word is a summative word in the most vulgar way to describe something that God made beautiful. Right? The act of, of uh, having sex with, with someone, your, your spouse that you love deeply and intimately, and the connection is a beautiful thing that God intended. Right? And yet we have created and turned a vulgar word for it. You're like, well, that's not what it actually means anymore. It's just used all over. And I say, exactly. As the word has become more common, as we, as we say things, they begin to lose their meaning, but so does the intended attachment. So we now say things like, yeah, you're totally screwed. You have vulgarized something that was meant to be beautiful. Speaking to myself here. You vulgarize something that was meant to be beautiful, and then we twist it, and we distort it, and then we wonder why it doesn't look like it's supposed to look. Then we wonder why there's so much sexual assault, why there's so much sexual brokenness, why people just have the attachment of something that was meant to be beautiful, meant to be united, meant to be healing, meant to be good, meant to be within marriage. And the two are linked. Are you following me? 
because the words we use affect the behavior because it affects our heart. So the more we have seen the F word become a vulgar exchange in common definition, you could probably chart on a graph the same understanding of sexuality with the rise of pornography, with the rise of sexual assault, with the rise of just rampant attitudes and hurt and pain. I don't care who you slept with last night. I care about the pain that it puts in your heart. And we live, I think, now in a generation that are more increasingly aware of how our actions affect our ecosphere, meaning rivers, streams, lakes, things like that, but not as aware of how they affect our ethosphere, meaning the attitudes, the beliefs, the behaviors, the ethics. And I heard this quote, it's over the last 30 years, while the quality of our rivers, lakes, and streams has greatly improved, the character and conduct of our lives has gotten worse. I know this is kind of like a downer, but i got to make this point because I think it's so important for us as a church. I think we care more about protecting owls than our, our own souls. We care more about protecting rivers and streams. And I love rivers and streams. I would live in a river and stream if I could. <laughs> but we care more about how our words and actions affect those things, affect climate change, affect all these things, than we do care about the, how they affect our ethosphere, the, the beliefs, the attitudes that are around us, because we want to detach that the way we think and the way we talk are separate, the way we think and the way we act are separate, but out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's scripture. Out of what's in here speaks. And it brings us to the point of saying, okay, then if we don't like how we feel, then we should adjust the diet. And that's how I feel it, for our culture and for our people and for our heart and for our attitude it, is this idea of we, I, we can't feel good about the way it's going in our hearts. We need revival. We need the freedom of God. I want to see life spoken. I want to see the things that God intended for good to be captured and, and owned, not to be vulgarized. And so it speaks to us to say that i got to change my diet. If I don't like what's coming out of my mouth, then I have to look at what's going into my heart. The tongue only has the power to release what you have stored. Man, I'm, I'm just like preaching to myself. I wish that James 3 didn't exist. It may make my life easier. I, I would have an A plus in cursing. I'm good at it. I work it in. I'm not like odd when someone throws it in and it's like, a, like I can really like flow with it. <laughs> but that's, that is the fruit of a heart that is not committed to Jesus Christ. That is, the, that is the bitter harvest of a heart that's not living out what, what was intended to speak. See, my heart is to reject those things and to receive the fullness that comes from Christ. Because I'm not talking about the habit or the word or the thing or the idea. I'm talking about your heart. Your heart will dictate your habit. And if your heart is full of God and full of the Spirit, then you're going to see incredible things happen through your life. And miracles happen through your life. And freedom happen through your life. It's about the heart. It's all about the heart. That's what Jesus says is worth protecting. That's what James is standing up like a warrior to his church. And, he, and he's convicting and he's directing, but he's speaking too. So how do we protect our heart when James says the tongue is uncontrollable? If I can't control it, but I must control it, how does that kind of give me some kind of hope, right? Like your tongue is more untamable than a jellyfish, but good luck. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. It's a good one to memorize. I think our kids have it memorized. My daughter does. Thank you, Kids Church. 
but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We know good fruit comes from a good tree. This is the fruit that comes from God is self-control. See, we need a supernatural self-control. Anyone here go, yes, I need a supernatural self-control that comes from the Holy Spirit. I, I need that. I choose it daily. It comes from the Holy Spirit to seek him. So how do we control the tongue and protect the heart? First thing, I'm just give you two things this morning. One of them is be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if no one ever told you this, you should be just filled with the Holy Spirit. You should seek the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I, I desire you. See, you and I are called to a unity and self-control that goes beyond human ability. If it was just about human ability, this job would be way too exhausting. And I'll go back to being an architect. This is about the power of the Holy Spirit and being called to be united as a body. Because I believe in what God has called his church to be. But it starts with being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're told in James and Luke that a good vine produces good fruit. And if we want that good fruit in our lives, in our family, in our homes, for our future, it starts with being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not concerned about what kind of gift you manifest or someone told you you got to do this. I, I'm concerned that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That you say, Holy Spirit, I need you in my life. I need you in my heart. I welcome you in and I receive you because I want to walk with you. With you. See, I love the gifts, but I live on the fruit. <coughs> John 14, or 15, 4 through 9. I'm going to read you a scripture again. This is Jesus. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I love that one. It's like hard to swallow verse, really, really exciting. <laughs> By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. How do we control the tongue and protect the heart? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Second thing is abide in the vine of Christ. Abide in the vine of Christ. If you're in the term of grafting, it's where they, where they cut a limb and they graft it into another and that, it, that it might grow. And then it might produce new fruit. And I think of that all the time of being, being cut away from the things that, that bound me and were dying and bring death and a, and a bitter harvest. And being grafted into the Lord and that he welcomes us and that I abide in his vine. That I become connected into his vine. Say, God, I've... I've tried to bear my own fruit. Turns out it's a bit sour. I want to bear the fruit that comes from you. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I'm done with anxiety, anger, and anguish. I'm talking about some peace, patience, kindness, goodness. But I've seen me in action, and I know that I struggle. And so I know that that fruit comes from you. The good thing is that that harvest comes in his timeline. So I'm not saying so you go home and stress that you've not got enough good fruit coming in your life. I'm saying so you just get a part of the vine and you trust him to bring the fruit. You trust him to bring the life. You trust him to bring the harvest in your life. And we abide in the vine of Christ. And he says, John 15, 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Can you imagine a church that actually believed that? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done. See, good fruit comes from a heart that's full of Christ. 
we're full of the Holy Spirit, it produces fruit in our life. There's just three things. I'm going to invite the band up this morning and I'm done. These are the things that, that James is trying to awaken in the church. I'm just going to share them with you this morning. Three last things. Everyone still with me? Amen. Good. Anyone rethinking their Facebook and Instagram comments from this week? <laughs> He's like, I sent a memo earlier on the way to church. I should probably, no. A filled heart. See, when we're full of the Holy Spirit, it produces fruit in our life, the fruit that comes from him. A filled heart overflows with gracious talk. An old uncontrolled tongue, it speaks quickly without thinking. It comments. It says things without, without really thinking about the platform or the place or the grace. But when our hearts are shared with Christ, we understand our brokenness. We understand the humility that comes from that. And so from that filled heart is a harvest of grace. It says, I understand that I'm broken, that I got some problems. As much as I don't want to give grace right now, out of the overflow of my heart, understanding the grace that I have received through salvation that could never be earned, bought, or paid for by my own power, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, I respond in grace. I respond patiently and lovingly. And I think in that grace, we're careful how we use platform. We use platform now to build up His kingdom. Man, how cool is that? I just... I think it's so cool that we have such a great platform as believers. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the ability to share that belief with millions of people around the world at any time. No generation has had that power or had that ability. But I encourage you, look at your presence on your platform and decide what are witness makers and what are witness killers. And there might be stuff that toes the line and you want to make that statement, but you say what I'm more concerned about is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope in life given graciously and in return given graciously. Second thing is that a filled heart overflows with empowerment. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. You know, you who are filled with the Holy Spirit, you who are followers of Christ, you have the ability to change the course of someone's life. It might not even look like that to you. It might just look like you said something nice to somebody. But there are people even here this morning who are just dying, literally, to have somebody just speak life into them and encouragement into them. And it's almost so trivial that we just skip on by it on the way to lunch. But can I tell you that your words can change the life of someone else when they're inspired words from the Word of God through the Holy Spirit birthed and harvested from your mouth? When you speak the Word of God and the truth to people, it frees, it releases. I've seen people released from addiction just by reading a Bible verse. Because it's life. It speaks life to their heart and hope to your future. A filled heart, it overflows with empowerment. Let me tell you, you don't need a doctorate to say something nice. You don't need a master's to give someone meaning today. You just need Jesus Christ to speak through you and in your weakness be strength. The tongue can be like a rudderless ship, but let me tell you, if you give that wheel to the Holy Spirit, if you do the old, old school Jesus take the wheel, I think he's going to pilot you to a future with purpose and power that comes from him. The last thing is a filled heart overflows with words that bring life. 
In Proverbs it says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. See, the tongue is like a fire. It can cause wildfires, but it can also stir up a heart with warmth and hope and freedom. Man, when was the last time you really just got down with somebody in the trench and said, like, you got this. I believe in you. You can do this. I believe for you. You, like, didn't care that you kind of got muddy with them. You just kind of got down in there. And you're like, listen, I speak life into you. They're like, I don't believe it. I don't believe in myself. And you're like, that's fine. I'm just going to believe double for both of us for you. And I'm going to keep speaking life into you until eventually you receive that Christ loves you and cares for you. And you just light that fire. And as that fire comes, like we talked about the Joseph series, you just come and you invite the Lord to just blow on the coals of their life. And you see it grow. What had the power to burn down houses and lives and futures is now the power to bring life and future and homes and hopes to people. Are you with me? That is your power that you've been given by the Holy Spirit. To speak life through Him, with Him. And see that well up in others. To see that hope well up. Jesus and his disciples, they would, they would speak, get up and walk. And then they turn around in scripture and say to you and I, you're going to do greater things than that. Your words have power because of what has filled your heart. And every day you have this power. The power to bless or curse. You have the power to give hope or to take it. You have the power to give life or to take it. You have the power to bring freedom or to put in bondage. Every day, every interaction. And so today you have a choice. The choice is I can choose to just let the ship go. Or I can say, you know what, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to choose today to give the reins and the rudder of my mouth and of my perspective to Christ. And so we say, God, would you fill me so that the overflow of my heart is not past bitterness, not past hurt, not pain, not anger, not frustration, but it's you. It's your love. It's your hope. It's your acceptance. Overflow overflow. Would you stand with me this morning? I just, I, I really believe for this generation of the church that because of the access we have that we're going to be the generation that spreads the gospel like no other generation has. But I think it starts with a choice and I think that choice is this morning for us it is a prayer that says, God, I give you my heart and invites the Holy Spirit, would you fill me? And it says, would you give me some self, would you give me self-control that comes from you? And would you help me to use my words to glorify you and to lift others up in every interaction and to guard my heart? So if you're here this morning and that's something you feel like, I'm just going to make a choice today to lay down my heart and say, God, just fill me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because you really, 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 truly want to use the power of the tongue to build the kingdom not bring destruction, then I'm going to invite you. I'm going to pray for you in a second. So would you bow your head and close your eyes? I know we're running a little late, but we're done. We're going to do this. If that's you this morning and your prayer is really, Jesus, I, I, I'm giving you my heart maybe for the first time or for again. Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you give me self-control? I'm just going to commit this week through your power to speak life to those around me, to make that commitment as a church, to speak life to those around me, filled with the Holy Spirit.
And you're saying this morning, God, with the overflow of my heart, be words that bring life. If that's you, eyes closed, head bowed, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray with you this morning. Maybe you feel like you struggle with the way you talk, or you maybe you're, you're saying, I just want to, I want to be better at the way that I, I'm communicating the love of God. I want to pray for you this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, you see these hand raised and these hearts committed to you, God, and I just pray right now in this moment, just everything in our heart, we lay down to you and we give to you. God, this is, this is a powerful scripture. This is a convicting scripture, but we're still thankful and so thankful for it, God, because we know the power of the tongue to bring life or to take it. And God, we want to bring life. We want to speak life. We want to speak hope. We want to lift up a, a fire of dreams and hearts and lives. We want to see chains broken. But God, we know that that doesn't come from our power. It doesn't come from our will. It comes from you, Holy Spirit. So I pray this morning, Lord, over every hand raised and every heart who's lifted up to you in this moment, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. That you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. Right now in this moment. Right now in this moment. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled. God, and I pray as we're filled by you, as we receive a deeper revelation of your love, God, that it would inform the way we talk. God, I pray parents, families, coworkers, students, God, I pray that we would lift up a collected voice that speaks life to everyone, that we would be known as those that speak life. In fact, God, if there's anyone here this morning that kind of carries the moniker and the title of being negative, we just reject that in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you release them from that? You are released this morning from anything that has titled you as a negative, downer person. We release that over your life. You are a life speaker. You are a hope bringer. You are an encourager. You are an uplifter in the name of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you say, I struggle feeling down. Well, that's all right. Through you, the Holy Spirit is going to lift some people up. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you turn everybody here, would you bring about a fruit of encouragement and peace and love and joy in this church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Can we say amen together?